Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. All right, open up to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, and we'll do another half verse today. All right, let's read the first section of chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we give you praise that on this day we can gather together with our brothers and sisters and have in common the uh, bond of the Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would bless us this morning as we look into your word. Pray that you would illumine our minds and our hearts, that we would uh, gain from this uh, help and correction and reproof and training in righteousness. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last time we looked at the first part of Galatians 3.1 and talked about the use of invective and insults and harsh language, uh, things along those lines. And and so he continues to put the uh, full court press on the Galatians here. He is going after them. He is uh, pointing out their foolishness. He is trying to correct them. He's pointing out that they have departed from something that was good and, uh, and taken up something that was false and... Uh, destructive to their souls. Now we look at the second part of verse 1 where Paul the Apostle says, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Okay, and we know that these Galatians Um, We assume that these Gentile believers did not see Jesus Christ crucified before them with their eyes. Um, It was not a physical um, representation of of, uh, Jesus crucified. It was not, uh, they were not there um, in Jerusalem when he was crucified. And so we have to figure out what he's talking about here and... um, In a nutshell, uh, he's talking about the fact that uh, he preached to them the pure gospel. And that preaching was as if if Jesus Christ and him crucified had 
had been placarded, had been demonstrated, had been shown to them. And, of course, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church has figured that um, we do need to see physical images, and that is like uh, uh, the book for the unlearned, right? That's why when you go into uh, many Roman Catholic churches, they'll have the 12 steps of the cross, right, depicted in either paintings or um, statues or other artwork, and you can make your progress around that. And uh, they, they justified that by saying that that was a way for the gospel to be preached to the unlearned and those who did not uh, read. And the, the reformers, of course, rejected the use of icons and images and um, did so on the basis of the second commandment, which forbids uh, the making of representations of God and bowing down before them. And, and so, um, but here, the preaching is described as a... Um, being so powerful that it, that it was as if, before their eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly crucified, okay? I mean, that's a, an incredible statement about the effect and the clarity and the power of the Apostle Paul's preaching to this church and these churches. It, it was so powerful, it was as if they had seen Christ crucified. And so we're going to talk about preaching a little bit and what is preaching and um, what did the reformers teach about preaching uh, so that we can be stirred up in our commitment to preaching and our understanding of, of preaching. There was a teaching in the early Reformation that I think has been lost today. And that teaching is that the, they, they would say that the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. And you hear that, and immediately you start thinking, well, no, it's not. Pastor gets up there and he says what he thinks. That's not, that's not the Word of God. Um, he may be preaching the Word of God, but that preaching is not the Word of God. Well, the Reformers said it was. Okay, and so we got to figure out what that means. What did they mean by that? Um, does it mean that when, when Andrew Dion is in the pulpit, he speaks infallibly? No, certainly not. I sin and say wrong things in the pulpit. And, and it is your job, therefore, to go and, um, and test what has been said by the Word of God. But the Word of God preached is a means of grace. The Word of God preached is not just a lecture, right? We have, we have a tendency to think that it's a pious lecture or it's a lecture on Scripture or it's, it's some distance from Scripture. Well, the Reformers wanted to bring it much closer to Scripture, right? And so one of the... What, what are means of grace? Means of grace are the means that God has appointed in his church by which we grow in our knowledge of God, right? A means of growing in grace. 
And what are, the, what are the other means of grace? I've already told you that preaching of the Word of God is. What are other means of grace? In your life, what is a means of grace? Prayer is a means of grace, right? We pour ourselves out before God. God hears our prayers, and he answers them, right? There are things that happen in the world because we prayed about them. There are things that happen in our hearts because we prayed about them. There are things that don't happen because we didn't pray about them. Okay? So that should stir you up to pray. Okay? Prayer is a means of grace. What are others? The sacraments. Sacraments of baptism, sacraments of the Lord, sacrament of the Lord's Supper are means of grace. They build us up in the faith. Okay? And so, um, perhaps we're willing to accept prayer, perhaps we're willing to accept the means of grace in baptism and the Lord's table, but it's harder for us to accept that the preaching of the Word of God by some schmuck in the pulpit is a means of grace. It's difficult. Um, It's very hard to accept. But it is the means that God has appointed by which his word goes out. Now, there are a lot of things that fight against this in our culture, right? We're, we, we are not word, a word-based culture anymore. We're an image-based culture. You know, we want to see, we want to flip, we want the reels, right? We want, we, everything is to be quick, sound bites, visually stimulating to keep our attention. And I think it's undoubtedly true that my span of attention has been reducing. I'll admit that of myself. My span of attention is reducing. It's harder for me to read chapters of books in one sitting than it was 20 years ago. It was much easier for me to give myself uh, long times of concentration. And so preaching is one of those things, I mean... If you're in an academic environment, maybe you hear lecturing and, uh, and teaching, and it's, you know, 50 minutes long or an hour long. And, um, and so you, you have some practice, but many of us don't sit under spoken word very often other than Sunday morning. And so it's very difficult to stay engaged in the preaching of the word. It's not visually stimulating. It's spoken word. And so, um, and so that's some of, the, some of the cultural influences, I believe, that fight against us viewing preaching as we ought. Now, the second Helvetic confession, and Helvetic just means Swiss, okay? The Swiss reformers, um, first-generation reformers, put together uh, a confession Every nation state at the time was putting together and regions were putting together uh, confessions of faith. Uh, The first Helvetic confession was written by a guy named Heinrich Bullinger and a guy named Busser and Judd. And then it was revised by Bullinger in 1562 and 1564. I want to read what he says about The Word of God. So there's a chapter entitled, Of the Holy Scripture Being the True Word of God. 
Here's what he says. Canonical scripture. We believe and confess the canonical scriptures of the holy prophets and apostles of both testaments to be the true word of God and to have sufficient authority of themselves, not of men. For God himself spoke to the fathers, prophets, apostles, and still speaks to us today through the Holy, Spirit, holy Scriptures. And in this Holy Scripture, the universal church of Christ has the most complete exposition of all that pertains to a saving faith and also to the framing of a life acceptable to God. And in this respect, it is expressly commanded by God that nothing be either added to or taken from the same. Second section, Scripture teaches fully all godliness. We judge, therefore, that from these scriptures are to be derived true wisdom and godliness, the reformation and government of churches, as also instruction in all duties of piety, and to be short, the confirmation of doctrines and the rejection of all errors, moreover, all exhortations according to that word of the apostles, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, etc., Again, I am writing these instructions to you, says the Apostle to Timothy, so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Script, and then third section, Scripture is the Word of God. Again, the selfsame Apostle to the Thessalonians, when, he says, you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God. For the Lord himself has said in the gospel, it is not you who speak, but the spirit of my father speaking through you. Therefore, he who hears you hears me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Then the fourth, uh, the fourth section says this, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. All right, so that's what we're thinking about. What does that mean? Here's what, he, here's what the confession says. Wherefore, when this word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is proclaimed and received by the faithful, and that neither any other word of God is to be invented nor is to be expected from heaven, and that now the word itself which is preached is to be regarded not the minister that preaches. For even if he be evil and a sinner, nevertheless, the word of God remains still true and good. Neither do we think that, therefore, the outward preaching is to be thought as fruitless because the instruction in true religion depends on the inward illumination of the Spirit, or because it is written, and no longer shall each man teach his neighbor, for they shall all know me. And... Neither he who plants nor he that waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. For although no one can come to Christ unless he be drawn by the Father, and unless the Holy Spirit inwardly illumines him, yet we know that it is surely the will of God that his word should be preached outwardly also. God could indeed by his Holy Spirit, or by the ministry of an angel, without the ministry of St. Peter, have taught Cornelius in the Acts." But nevertheless, he, he refers him to Peter, of whom the angel speaking says, he shall tell you what you ought to do. Okay? So there's, their, there's the initial explanation of that, right? 
The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. When this word is preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is proclaimed and received by the faithful. Okay? Now, what does that mean? And what trouble do you have with that statement? Right? I've already told you that I can err in the pulpit. I don't speak ex cathedra infallible, you know, without error. I do not do so. Um, let's keep going. There's more, more to come. They go, there's another section, inward illumination does not eliminate external preaching. For he that illuminates inwardly by giving men the Holy Spirit, the same one by way of commandment, said unto his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. So they're like, you know, I'm sure there were people of the time saying, look, we don't need preaching. We have the inward illumination of the Holy Spirit. What more do we need than that? We don't need some man just merely exhorting us from, a, from an elevated position in the sanctuary, Right? That, that's not a common attitude today, is it? You know, I've got the Holy Spirit. I'm a member of the church universal. I don't need the visible church. I don't need the visible pastor before me teaching, I have the Holy Spirit and I can interpret these scriptures and apply them myself. And so the whole ministry of the church, elders, church discipline, the preaching of the word becomes superfluous, right? That is the, the, the sort of, you know, I'm off by myself, don't tell me what to do, American modern attitude, Right? Right? They, they, someone can say, look, I, I worship God in the woods, I take my Bible, I commune, I have the illumination of the Spirit. I don't need any other means of grace other than that. I don't need the sacraments, I don't need the word preached. I pray, so I'll take that one. But the others I, I, I can dispense with. Okay? So yes, very common attitude today, but there's nothing new under the sun. Apparently, the reformers were having to deal with that same attitude. <laughs> um, all right, so let's, so let's move away from the Swiss and go to England. And what, does, what do our Westminster divines say about preaching? Well, they address it in Westminster two times. Well, is it one time? Uh, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, preaching is mentioned here. In the chapter on God's covenant with man, this is 7-6, and they wrote, under the gospel, when Christ, the substance, was exhibited, the ordinances in which this covenant is dispensed are the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So the dispensing of Right Under the gospel, when Christ's substance was exhibited, the ordinances in which this covenant is dispensed, the dispensing of the new covenant, comes through preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. Okay, what else do those divines say? 
Westminster Larger Catechism 35. How is the covenant of grace administered under the New Testament? Answer. Under the New Testament, when Christ the substance was exhibited, the same covenant of grace was and still is to be administered in preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper in which grace and salvation are held forth in more fullness, evidence, and efficacy to all the nations. Right? There are things that are means of grace, and there are things that are not means of grace, and the means of grace have more power. Because they're actual means of grace. They're means of growth. They're means of of understanding, their means of illumination, right? Their means of all these things. And so there are things that aren't that we may give ourselves to as Christians, right? And as part of our devotion, but they're not means of grace. But there are special means of grace, and they keep pointing out preaching and the Lord's table and baptism, okay? Westminster Confession of Faith 21.5. Here's the other the, the second of two mentions of preaching in the confession. The reading of the scriptures with godly fear, the sound preaching and conscionable hearing of the word, in obedience unto God with understanding, faith, and reverence, singing of psalms with grace in the heart, as also the due administration and worthy receiving of the sacraments instituted by God are all parts of the ordinary religious worship of God, besides religious oaths and vows, solemn fastings and thanksgivings upon special occasions, which are in their several times and seasons to be used in a holy and religious manner. And so what are the parts of worship? They're saying it's preaching, it's singing with grace in the heart, it's the administration of the sacraments, and sometimes oaths, vows, thanksgivings, things like that, okay? So preaching, but notice what they say, the reading of the whole scriptures, the sound preaching and conscionable hearing of the word of God. That's one of the necessary parts of worship, is not just preaching, but conscionable hearing. Really consciously, really giving yourself in hearing the preaching of the word of God, listening intently and with expectation. And hanging on it because, because the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. Hanging on it as if, okay, God has something for me today. Right? God is speaking, and this is one of the ways He speaks today. Right? He doesn't speak through prophets. He speaks through pulpits. All right, Westminster Larger Catechism 155. How is the word made effectual to salvation? Answer, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves and drawing them to Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Right? That's a beautiful section, isn't it? That list of what the Word of God will do. And notice that they say, yeah, the reading, but especially... 
especially the preaching of the Word of God. Now, if I took a poll and I said, do you get more out of preaching or your daily reading of Scripture? I think every one of us would say our daily reading of Scripture. I just think we would all say that. They're like, turn that on its head. No. Reading's going to be helpful. It's going to lead to all the same things, but especially the preaching of the Word of God is going to affect you because God has appointed it as his means of grace. God has appointed it to work in this way. It's the means of enlivening and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves, drawing them to Christ, conforming them to his image, subduing them to his will, strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. I would ask all of you to, pr- to pray that God does that for us Sunday mornings. Westminster Confession 155, ask God to bless the preaching of his word in those ways. You know, first thing when you get up, pray for me or pray for whoever is in the pulpit that Sunday. And that this would indeed be the result of the preaching of the word. Westminster, okay, going on, unless there are questions at this point. Any questions? Still building a case. Yes. Exactly. If we have spent the week in the desert... And then we come in to the fire hose of the Word of God. We can't take it in. It just makes us sick and unready. So you have to, like, you know, work yourself toward the preaching of the Word. Yeah, it's preparation for. Yeah. And I'll guess I'll make a not this particular church, but there's a lot of preachers that hide in the Bible. Yeah. And they just decide it's their job to get them to understand the Bible. You do, but you also yeah. do real life. Yeah. Yeah, I, I th- um when you read the Bible devotionally, you you are the you bring yourself to the interpretation of the word. And often that's very helpful and good. But, but the preaching of the word of God, you are, sub, you are sitting under the interpretation of the word of God. And it's humbling, right? It's, it's just very humbling. When it, when it, you know, and Calvin says this time and time again, when a puny man steps into the pulpit, and exhort you with the authority of the word of God, all of us are just like, you know. And that's the first thing you have to get over. Is like, okay, this is the appointed means. God has done this. It's a means of grace. It is more powerful than my daily reading. Okay, I'm going to believe that, even though it's Andrew in the pulpit again this Sunday. 
Um, Question 159, how is the word of God to be preached by those who are called thereunto? They are called to labor in the ministry of the word. They that are called to ministry in the labor in the ministry of the word are to preach sound doctrine diligently in season and out of season, plainly, not in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, faithfully making known the whole counsel of God, wisely applying themselves to the necessities and capacities of the hearers, zealously with fervent love to God and the souls of his people, sincerely aiming at God's glory and the people's conversion, edification, and salvation. And then, interestingly, question 160 is, what is required of those that hear the word preached? Now, listen to this. This, I think, is the point. It is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures, okay, Receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. So the Westminster Larger Catechism says the same thing that the Helvetic Confession does. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. You are to receive it as the word of God. Okay? But the previous sentence is what all of us want as sort of uh, an escape clause. Right? And it's a necessary escape. You have to examine what you hear by the scriptures, right? You have to examine what you hear by the scriptures. Because I am, I am preaching the word of God as a fallible man, and the right interpreter of scripture is scripture itself and the Holy Spirit, right? So you have to examine that if, if, I, am, if I am preaching the whole council or if I'm going on the, off on the rails, nonetheless, you receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate and confer on it. Hide it in your hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in your lives. So those, I mean, we, we don't spend enough time in the larger catechism. I find the larger catechism is way more compelling than the confession. We spend a lot of time in the confession, but I think we need to do a, a class on the larger catechism. There's, it's the working out and the answering of all the questions that arise in the confession. But those are, those are wonderfully helpful. So that's the confession. Um, Receive, anticipate, be ready, be meek, be humble before the word preached. Have expectations. Have expectations. Expectations that are so high that you pray on Sunday morning for the one preaching and for yourself in receiving it. That you will be able to hear it with faith. Calvin says, when a man climbs up into the pulpit... Is it so that he may be seen from afar and that he may have a higher place than the rest? No. But so that God may speak to us by the mouth of man and be so gracious to us to show himself here among us and will have immortal man to be his messenger. Right? That's the means appointed. And Calvin's like, we don't have high pulpits because, you know, because it's, 
lauding of men. No, no, we, we preach so that God may speak to us by the mouth of a man. Because we would be like Israel in Exodus 19. If God spoke to us directly, we would call for rocks to fall upon us with our remaining sinfulness in us. Right? And he has condescended and blessed you to be able to receive his word and his word preached through the mouth of a man, which makes the medicine go down better, but also causes us difficulties because we really do have to humble ourselves. Calvin says, if the gospel be not preached, Jesus Christ is, as it were, buried. If there be no preaching, the death and passion of our Lord Jesus Christ will come to nothing. The world will know him to will not know him to be the redeemer of the world. It will avail us nothing at all that, we, that he was delivered to death for us. Of what advantage would it be that the Son of God had suffered death and risen again the third day if there be no preaching? Right? We wouldn't know about it. How will we believe, right? How would we believe? It's been through the preaching of the word of God that God ordained that still goes on today and has through all the ages. That's, that's wonderful, right? That's wonderful means that God has given to us. And if it didn't exist, you know, we wouldn't know about Christ crucified. And so once again, this doctrine does not mean that the men who preach from this, this pulpit or any other pulpit are infallible in what they say. They can and do err even sin in the pulpit. Nonetheless, the preaching of the word of God along with prayer and the sacraments are means of God's grace. He works through them. He dispenses his treasures to men through this means. And so we readily accept that the preacher is not fallible, but we do not so readily accept that God has appointed the pulpit as the place where his word goes forth in a distinct and powerful way in this world. You know, that's what we have to believe. We have to believe that it wasn't superfluous for the Apostle Paul to tell Timothy, Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. Preach the word. Now, let's look at Scripture. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus come to do? I mean, he came to die. He came all that. But he says that he came to do what? To preach. He came to preach. Right? Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Mark 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now he's exhorting the apostles to carry on. Luke 4, when, the day, when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him and came to him, tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for, for I was sent for this purpose. He was sent to preach. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. 
Right? He kept doing that. That was his normal practice. He went around to the synagogues and preached, opening up the scriptures. Acts 14, 15, and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men. Remember when they consider Paul and, and Barnabas to be was it, Zeus and as gods. I can't remember. Yeah. We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. They're like, we're not gods. We're, we're preachers. We preach. That's what we do, so you better listen up. There is more power in preaching than in the Roman pantheon. That's what they're saying. When he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Romans 1, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Right? Paul knew his role. Romans 10, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Romans 15, and thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. 1 Corinthians, for Christ did not send me, think of this, Christ did not send me to what? Remember what Paul the apostle says? First chapter of Corinthians. Paul did not send me to baptize. What? What? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. And then that whole chapter is really about the preaching of the word. First Corinthians 1, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. 1 Corinthians 9, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Right? So we preach, so you believed. Power in the preached word. Galatians 1.8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Ephesians 3, to me, the very least of all saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And then, of course, 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So there we have the continual calling of the early church and the apostles to and of Christ himself to preach, preach the word. Luther said, on this statement in Galatians 3.1, that um, the Galatians, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, Luther says, as if he said, there is no painter that with his colors can so lively set out Christ unto you as I have painted him out by my preaching. And yet, notwithstanding, you still remain miserably bewitched. Right? So, the, the, the painter can't do what is done through the preaching, the spoken 
preaching of God's word. That is where we see Christ, right? That is where we see Christ before us, by words, by descriptions, just as God left us with a book of words, not a book of pictures, right? There are three pictures that we get to use in worship. What are they? But that's not the picture. What is the picture? Not the crucifixion. Bread, wine, water. Three images, right? Three pictures. We could almost add the fourth, but it's not really something you see. It is the preached word. It is portraying before, it's placarding before your eyes Christ crucified, right? But, but um, let's leave it at three because that's explicitly things we see. We see the water, we see the bread, we see the wine, we see the blood, we see the body, we see the spirit poured out in the water, right? Calvin, we have seen that the preaching of the gospel has not come about by accident, but was ordained so that God may display the infinite riches of his bounty toward us. Let us continue in this and be so firmly persuaded of it that nothing may ever move or shake us. One last Calvin quote. Is the word of God being faithfully preached? Then we have Jesus Christ in our midst, as it were, as if he were presented before us hanging on the cross. So all of that to say that I think there was a better understanding of the word preached and a better appreciation, a better sense of the weight in previous eras of the church. And that as we've moved away from, and moved away from words to images, as we've, as we've grown um, just lazy in our pursuits, um, as we have less expectations for the normal means of grace, we just don't, we don't um, value or appreciate the preaching of the word. Now, it's weird for me to talk about this, because, but, but honestly, when I talk about this, it just makes me fearful, right? I, I, I don't want to talk up the preaching of the word, because it just, in my mind, it just, it's ridiculous expectations. For my preparation, how is the Holy Spirit going to use my my sometimes good, often poor preparation to preach the Word of God, and my just extremely limited knowledge. I know nothing. I mean, honestly, I just know nothing. And, and I have been called to preach the Word. And so, so it, it fills me more, it doesn't fill me with pride, trust me. It fills me with fear um, when I talk about what preaching is to be. And it makes me want to knuckle down and, and pray and work harder in the preparation of the word. But nonetheless, you guys should have expectations. You guys should be praying. All of you should be praying for your pastor in the preaching of the word. But on Sunday morning when you wake up, the thought should be, I get to hear from God today. Through his word preached. What a wonderful thing. 
May the Holy Spirit bring intense conviction, great comfort, delights in seeing Christ crucified. You know, that's what you should anticipate from it. Um, and, and when you, here's a way to test that. Invite somebody to church <laughs> and you're going to be like, oh man, what's the pastor going to say this week? Is it, was he going to go down that rabbit trail again? You know, can, are they going to be bared up? Just, would you stop that? Trust God that God speaks in his word. And invite your friends and embrace the awkwardness. In anticipation of God working. You have no idea what the Holy Spirit needs to say to that person through the mouth of an ass up front. Right? You have no idea. Right? But don't make that inhibit you and stop you from, from leading people to where Christ is publicly portrayed as crucified every week, right? Don't, let's try to get over that. I mean, trust me, I, trust me, I know, I know the awkwardness of it. Um, I'll try to be really academic and not exhort and not apply. We'll just stick to the, no. That would be a failure. Anyway, any final 30-second questions, thoughts? Oh, I don't know. There is not a short definition. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's right. You see that even still today. What's front and center in an Anglican or a Roman Catholic church? The altar is, and the pulpit is pushed. It's either non-existent or pushed off to the sides. They read the word from the side. They, from one side, they preach from another side. In Reformed and Presbyterian pulpits, the pulpit is centered for a reason, and the table is a common table that's out in front of it, okay? But the, the pulpit is centered in the sanctuary for the purpose that we see it as the central point of the service. The sacraments are not the center of worship. The preaching of the Word of God is the height of worship, okay? And the, and the sacraments come along and, yes, means of grace, nourish us, but you you, you don't do the sacraments away from the preaching of the word. The sacraments flow, the Lord's table flows from the preaching of the word of God and is connected very intimately to that, to that word. Uh, we are forbidden from um, sharing the sacraments without the word being preached in our book of church order. Right? But yeah, the architecture shows it. It's, that's a good point. All right, we got to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word preached. Lord, work through your weak servant, and uh, Lord, may you bless us and strengthen us. May we be fed on these means of grace this morning where we uh, will, will eat by faith, by the Spirit, the body and blood of your Son, and Father, we will hear your word preached. 
Uh, May we hear it with faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.